Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that by clicking on the giving link located in the description below this video, online at fellowshipgj.com, or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through your Fellowship profile on the Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy today's message. Good morning, Fellowship Church. Guys, if you'll stand for worship this morning, I have to share this scripture with you all. It is fire. This is out of Ephesians 1. It says, God's unfailing purpose, this detailed plan will reign supreme through every period of time until the fulfillment of all the ages. A little bit further down, it says, before we were even born, he gave us our destiny that we would fulfill the plan of God who always, and I'm gonna put emphasis on this, always, always accomplishes every purpose and plan in his heart. Aren't you so thankful that we serve a God who is unfailing, he is unstoppable, and he is for you. So let's give him some praise today.
God is an eternal God, that, that Jesus is king forever, that, that he st stands outside of time, that whatever you're dealing with right now, I love this song because it's a reminder for me that the difficulties I've been dealing with are temporary at best. And that's something that we need to remember. And we all have stuff that we've been going through. I mean, just look at this last year. We, we've got stuff we've been going through and you need to remember today, I feel like God was just pressing on my heart that, that, that what you're dealing with is temporary. So what, what you need to do is you need to tell your temporary problem about your eternal God. Because you might be looking at your life right now and feeling like it, 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 it's not good right now. Well, let me tell you something. If it's not good yet, then God's not done yet because he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for, for his kids. So we look at the difficulties and the situations we go through and we're like, man, it's tough, it's difficult, but it's temporary. So let's talk to our eternal God and let's hand over these temporary troubles, these temporary problems. Let's just put it right in the lap of our eternal savior. Heavenly Father, it's in the name of Jesus that we come before you. We thank you that God, you, you're God all by yourself. You don't need any help. You don't need our help. You, you've been in control since before creation. And God, you will always be in control. And God, the weight that comes off of our chest with just understanding that and declaring that and recognizing that whatever we're dealing with right now, it might be tragic, it might be painful, it might be difficult. What we know is it's temporary and God, you're going to work it out for the good. And eternally, God, you're going to bless us and you're going to bring us closer and closer to you into your presence, God, where we can just be with you and, and glorify you and worship you. And God, we are in the middle of a work in a temporary space right now where you're doing an eternal, an eternal glory, God, for you. So Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we lift up the name of Jesus in this place. That's why we're here. We're here because God, you deserve the glory, you deserve the worship, you deserve the praise. So we're not gonna just sit back, we're gonna open our mouths and we are gonna worship you today and glorify you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's all give him a shout of praise because he deserves it. He's good to us. He is good to us. Well, church, Thank you so much for being here today. We are so glad to see you. And can I just say, you look good today. You might, you might turn to someone next to you and just tell them, hey, you're looking good today. Your shoes are fly. Sounds like a little flattery. Hold on. Why don't you give someone a fist bump, welcome them into this place, and then please be seated. I want to take a moment and welcome all of you that are watching with us online. Thank you so much for uh, joining with us. We ask that if this blesses you in any way, that you share this with someone, that you just uh, click that share button or call up a friend and tell them, man, you got you to gotta get online and, and watch this because we, we want the Word of God to continue to just go out and bless people. But uh, go ahead and get involved. Tell us where you're watching from. You can, uh, we know there's people that watch from Texas and Iowa and Alaska and all over the United States now. Tell us where you're watching from. You might be watching from like Grand Junction. That's fine. Just uh, type it in. We're just so glad that you are uh, worshiping with us today. I, I do believe that you're going to be blessed uh, today. I believe God wants to speak to each of us individually, but uh, before we dive into that, this is the part in our service where uh, those of us that consider Fellowship Church our home church, this is where we give back to God. We, we tithe. That's the first 10%. We give back and there are many different ways that you can do that. We have on the side screens right now, it should be showing up on your screen at home. Uh, you can text the number on the side screens to give. You can give uh, in the mail. We have drop boxes in the lobby. But the easiest way that you can give is by downloading the Church Center app. It takes just a couple moments to set up the first time, and then you can give. And I love doing it this way because uh, the Bible tells us to bring the first fruits 
to, uh, to God. So a lot of people, like, we, we get this mixed up sometimes because whatever you, have, you give first, you, you have room for that, right? Because if you ever get to a point in your life where you're like, I just, I don't have enough money left over at the end to give, then we've missed the point of what God is saying. He says, I want to be first in your life, so I want you to bring the first 10%. So my wife and I, we're a little crazy with this. We get a little neurotic with it where we'll like, we'll drive through the, the bank and we'll, we'll deposit our money and we send it through the little tube and it, it shoots up there in the tube and then we get on the app and we tithe right then and we do that because we are people who recognize and we remember some times in our lives and some seasons in our lives where we were hurting we were broke uh, we went through a season where we didn't have food in the pantry. We went through a season where we were trying to decide, do we pay this bill or do we pay that bill? And there was other months where we were like, we can't pay any of those bills. And we can remember the struggles, but after trusting God, we started seeing his blessings on our lives in such an incredible way. We're like, we want everyone to have these blessings. We want everyone to see these same blessings on their lives. Because I hear people, they make complaints about churches. Oh, churches talk about money. Yeah, because you need it to live. You need it if you want to buy groceries. You need it if you want a house. And that's why God talked about it. So he said, I am going to give you an opportunity to be blessed in that area. Just put me first. So without hesitation, I'll tell you that my wife and I, we put them first. We, we, because you know what? I don't want to try to get through life on Dan's strength. I don't want to try to get through life on, on Dan's schemes of how I might be able to, to, to make things work out together. No, I would rather have his blessings on me to where he takes care of me financially. And the guys, that's what our prayer is for you. You might wonder, why, why are we talking about this all the time? Why do we talk about money? Because God gives you an opportunity. He says in the book of Malachi, test me in this. Bring the whole tithe, which means 10%, to the storehouse. That's where you're being spiritually fed, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and power out so much blessing on you, you won't even have enough room for it. You're saying... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tithe and then God's going to pour out windows of, of money on me? No, he said blessings. It might be money. It might be wisdom. It might be peace. It might be sleep. I wonder what is it, the, the blessings that you're praying for that God is like, he's just waiting, but he's going, ah, your heart, it, your heart is not trusting me yet. And I'm just waiting. Will you trust me? Will you, will you put me first? Proverbs 22.9 says, the generous will themselves be blessed. It's like we think, I just got to hold it all to myself. And you go, no, 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 become generous, and then I'll bless you. So let me pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each and every person in this room. And God, this is what I know. We all have needs. Some of us, the, the financial needs are a little bit more desperate. Some of us... Um, we just need wisdom. Some of us, God, the, the blessings we're looking for are peace or, or, or joy, God. Um, whatever it is, God, you know what that is. So we ask that you would bless us today as we trust you financially. I pray for every person here in this room and listening online as we put you first, that you would show, that, show us, God, since you say to test us, show us that, that you'll come through on your word and come through on your promises. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Here's just a couple quick and important announcements of what's going on here in the next couple weeks at Fellowship Church. Coming up on March 28th is our baptism service. This is going to happen in between services in our 4640 Student Center. This is such a special time in our walk with Christ when we commit and show the rest of the world that we have decided to follow Jesus. So if you feel like that's something that you're ready to do or you feel like God is calling you to get baptized, please sign up for that in our Church Center app. There's still room and there's still time to sign up. We don't want you to miss out on this special moment where the church family comes around you and celebrates you and really 
really, we just come alongside you and cheer you on. And we're so excited that you've decided to outwardly show the world that you're ready to follow Jesus. Starting April 14th, we're gonna be starting a new midweek class called Three Kings. And Pastor Tim is gonna be teaching this. It's gonna be amazing. What's special about this class is that it's our first time live streaming a midweek class. So we're gonna be live streaming it as well as gathering in person. So if you can't make it a week, you can catch it on the live stream. Or if you're not here in Grand Junction with us, you can also catch it online. Now we're gonna be streaming that exclusively on our website, fellowshipgj.com slash live. That is where that class is gonna be found. There's gonna be resources built into the website that they're gonna help you study this curriculum. There is a cost of $18 and that gets you your study guide, which is required for the class. You are going to need it, otherwise you're gonna feel lost. So please check that out on our Church Center app. Sign up if you have any more questions, stop by our Grow kiosk or our information counter. We'd love to see you there. Well, that's what's happening here at Fellowship Church. Enjoy today's message. hope that has become legendary in my family. It occurred over four decades ago before my brothers and I were even born. But my parents have told generation after generation about how God came through for them in a hopeless situation. They had been married about nine years at this point and had thus far not had any children. And they had gone to the doctors and had procedures and tests and all kinds of things to try to figure out how they could get pregnant. But they were finally sitting in like the elite specialist of the day and getting ready to hear the results of the test and what would happen. And the doctor looked my parents in the eyes and said, it is hopeless for you to continue to try to have children. Doctors don't make babies. God makes babies. Go home and try to be happy. And so it was right in the midst of receiving this devastating news that my parents said, you know what, we need to do something fun to kind of get away from the stress of this information. And so they decided to put the boat in on the bay. Now, if we were in the Midwest, I wouldn't need to explain this sentence, but I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So the big body of water, go pack, uh, the big body of water there was the Bay of Green Bay. We called it Green Bay, but it's brown. Um, and that had to do with some pollution from the main employer of, of the region of Wisconsin, polluted that bay, but anyways, it was a, still a great place to go boating, and so my parents decided to invite some friends and put the boat on the bay for the day. And they went to this place that's kind of famous around home, which is called Long Tail, and it's just this big, sandy, long tail of sand out into the bay, and you pull up your boat, and you can picnic, and you can water ski right off it. It's really a fun place, and so they went there for the day, and we're having a great time. Time. The afternoon has worn now down and many b other boaters and other families have already loaded up their kids and their picnics and, and taken off for the day, but not my family because we stay to the bitter ends. And so they're having fun out there. My mom sees that there's a storm blowing in across the bay. And she tries to tell my dad like, hey, we should pack it up. Um, but my dad's like, nah, let's keep playing. And so more time goes on, more time. We're like the only family, they're the only family on the um, island now of the sand place. And they decide that they're gonna stay just a little bit longer. And right about this time, a huge yacht pulls up and just kind of beaches right in the middle of the sandy area. And out jumps a man and he's dressed in full cowboy boots, uh, jeans, button-down shirt, hat, belt buckle, and he gets out on the beach and he just decides to go for a walk down this peninsula area, and so he does. And meanwhile, two boys hop out of the boat as well, or yacht, and they're playing in the water, kind of splashing around, right around waist deep, and just kind of splashing each other. They're 10, maybe six years old, my parents estimate. And my mom, she's always a mother, even before kids, she's observing that no one is supervising the children, and that bothers her. Um, so she keeps an eye on it as my dad starts loading up the coolers and all the stuff to get ready to go. And the storm continues moving in, the wind's getting fiercer now, the waves are getting choppier, and um, the clouds overhead look like they're just gonna open up. And my mom's trying to rush my dad now. The kids are playing a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper, and pretty soon, all of a sudden, the storm waves blow in big. And this one little boy gets sucked out into the deep of the bay, into the, uh, off the drop-off, he's way over his head, and now the waves are 
are huge. And my mom completely panics. His, the child's dad is way down the peninsula. And so my dad jumps in the boat. They maneuver the boat as close as they can to where my mom feels the child may have gone under. And my dad, though he's not a swimmer, dives in and is just reaching for this child. And he comes up and he goes back down and he comes up and he goes back down over and over again until finally he pulls just a tuft of the boy's hair and gets him up out, out of the water enough for those in the boat to pull the boy to safety. There's some CPR that goes on and eventually my parents are able to drive this boy back to his now freaking out father on the beach and return him safely. And then the summer ends and they go onto the school year and this little boy goes to the school and he does, he has to write an essay. And as he's writing this essay, it's supposed to be about a hero, so he writes about my dad saving his life. And somehow this essay makes it to Fort Howard Paper Company, the people that polluted the bay. And um, <laughs> they have this annual banquet and they decided to honor my dad as a local hero. And so they invited my mom and dad to the banquet and they had a huge celebration and then they gave them this award of valor, and it came with a $1,000 check. And this is in the 70s when $1,000 is like really a lot of money. And so my parents received the award, my dad was thrilled, but the really cool thing about it was that they had just received a phone call the day before saying that if they could just pay the $1,000 adoption fee, they could adopt. And then they did. And it gets me every time. <laughs> What is so cool to me about this story is when it was hopeless, God wasn't done. When it was hopeless and there was no way, like from a worldly perspective, to continue to hold on to hope, God was working something around that entire time. He knew that if they had naturally conceived and had just gone the normal way, that they would have never rescued that boy. They never would have won the award. They never would have got the thousand dollars and they never would have been positioned to adopt my older brother, Luke, who was their firstborn child. And I think it's so cool that when the world says it's over, that God never does. That my parents were able to hold on to hope because they were not just holding on to hope, they were actually holding on to God. And hope in God is different than worldly hope. Hope in God is so much stronger and bigger than our common use of the word hope. So for example, worldly hope or common hope, we might say, I hope the Broncos have a good season this year. Okay, I hope, we're saying I, I wish, I, I, I desire that they have a good season, but at the same time, we're also agreeing that's highly unlikely, okay? <laughs> we have no quarterback, we have no offensive line, we just traded our best prospect at running back for a long, long time. We, we hope they'll have a winning season, but they probably won't. It's wishful thinking that they would, and we're gonna hold out for hope, but we all know there won't be any playoffs in our future this year, right? That's, that's worldly hope. There's like an element of doubt at the same time as hope. But biblical hope is completely different. Biblical hope is an element of certainty. Even though there's a question, even though we're unsure technically, we're confident that God is able to come through in the situation. We're confident we expect it to happen. In fact, when we're hoping in Christ, we expect it to happen and we would actually be surprised if it doesn't happen. And so this idea of like, what is the definition of hope? It's, it's confident expectation that what we don't yet see, we will one day see. And church family, I believe that my assignment as a speaker today, like the reason God sent me to speak this morning is to tell you that it is time to start hoping again. We've had a rough couple of years and a lot of us have given up hope. We've said, you know what, 2020 was such a mess, 2021, I don't know if it's going to be that much better. Like I'm not going to hope. I'm not gonna take that risk again, but I think that God wants you to take that risk again and to, to hope. I, I, I feel that I've been sent here to challenge you to say hope again. Hope again for that better job. Hope again for that relationship. Hope again for your kids. Hope again for a vacation. Hope again for your future, for your health. Hope again for your family. And I believe that God wants you to know that you do not have to put your hope on hold that you can continue to hope and it's time, it's time to hope again. Hope for a believer is a strong and confident expectation. If we're hoping for something, we're longing for it with, with a deep desire that we would be surprised if it doesn't come to pass. 
The Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11, now this is a really familiar passage of scripture, but I want you to read it again with the idea of the new definition of hope. It says this, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you future and a hope. Hope being a strong and confident expectation. So what are you hoping for? That's what I wanna ask this morning. What are you hoping for? I, I ask this because sometimes we give up hope. Sometimes we just go into that survival mode and we're thinking, I, I don't wanna be disappointed again, so it's just easier to skip over hoping. But we're not just hoping against hope. We're hoping in Christ. We're setting our hope upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And so I say again, what, what are you hoping for? Are you hoping for better communication in your marriage? Are you hoping that things will get better between you and your in-laws? Are you hoping for a decent financial aid package for your college student this year? Are you hoping for a date with the right guy or the right girl? Are you hoping your investments will go up and get better this semester? Are you hoping to see a loved one again that's passed away and in heaven now? Are you hoping your car won't break down? Are you hoping that your baby will just sleep through the night? Are you hoping that while you're at church this morning, the clean house fairies will arrive at your home and clean everything in your absence? I mean, what are you holding on to hope for? For as a Christian, hope is a sure anchor to our soul. It's an anchor to our soul. Hebrews 6.19 says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. You see, church family, storms in life are going to come. The waves are gonna crash against us, but we aren't just blown and tossed by the winds. We're not just thrown around with no hope. In fact, we are tethered, we are anchored to Christ that no matter what comes our way, Jesus is able to anchor us through the storm.
we can be anchored to someone that will never move. We can be anchored to someone who can hold us steady through any storm that life brings our way. And so when the diagnosis comes, we can have hope. When the finances aren't stable, we can have hope. When the relationships get rocky, we can hope. And when a son or daughter walks away from God, we can hope. Because Jesus already warned us. He said in John 15, in this world, you will have troubles. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so the no matter what's happening on the surface, no matter how the storm rages, we can be anchored. And what does an anchor do? An anchor goes down deep to the floor and it grips and it grabs hold of the bottom. And that's what God does. That's what Jesus does in our life. He, through that faith, he holds on. And there's nothing that can blow that anchor from where Christ set it. And I guess the other thing I'd ask is, what's the alternative? What's the alternative to being people filled with hope and confidence in Christ? To freak out? Like, are we really just gonna go, well, there's another storm, I guess I'm just gonna panic. I guess I'm gonna worry, I guess I'm gonna stay up all night worrying more. I, I guess I'm gonna tell everybody at work how bad things are and they won't know what to do or say either. Like the alternative is that we run around acting like orphans who don't have a father in heaven who sits on a throne with all power and authority at his fingertips. The alternative is, is to act like we don't have a God who cares. And friends, that's the exact opposite of everything that you and I believe. And so when the storm comes, we can't panic. Instead, we anchor to that hope. And that's why I love this Psalm, Psalm 42 in the Bible. It's a little bit funny, I'm not gonna lie. And I love that God included this in the scripture because I'm not, if you're not, you gotta look at it and really dig into it because you'll see that David is talking to himself in this Psalm. I don't know if and there's anyone else in the room that talks to themselves, but I talk to myself a lot to stay focused and on track. And David is talking to himself. Psalm 42 says this, take courage, my soul. Do you remember those times, but how could you forget them, when you led a great procession to the temple on festival days, singing with joy and praising the Lord? So basically what this is saying is, take courage, my soul. Remember when you, you worshiped? Remember last time that you went to God's house and you celebrated and you worshiped because God came through? He's reminding himself of the last time he was in a bind and God came through and then he worshiped. The verse goes on to say then, why be downcast? Why be discouraged and sad? Hope in God, he tells himself. I shall yet praise him again. I shall again praise him for his help. So what David is saying is he's saying, self, remember you were in a jam and you hoped in God and God got you out of the jam and then you went to worship him and thank him for it, remember that? And then David's like, yes, self, I remember that. And then he's like, well, you're in a jam again and if last time God got you out of it, don't you think he'll get you out of it again? He's telling himself, he's preaching to himself, he's encouraging himself, he has an anchor. He's anchoring his faith to the fact that last time he was in a bind, God got him out of it. And this time when he's in a bind, he'll get out of it again through God. And then he'll go to church again and he'll thank God and he'll worship and he'll celebrate that God got him out of the bind. But he's talking to himself in this middle ground, in the middle place, in the place where everything still feels like a mess. And he's saying, but remember, even though it's a mess, God got you out of it before and he's gonna get you out of it again. And then you're gonna be able to praise him again and tell a story of how he rescued you again. 
Hope is like a reservoir of emotional strength. I drink in hope to carry me through the storm. I draw on hope to refresh myself. I lap up hope for the strength to keep moving on. I take in hope to satisfy my questions and my temptations and my doubts and my soulish angst. I look to the reservoir of hope for the emotional strength that I can continue to find in hope. You see, hope matters, and to be filled with hope is important, and so that's why I preach to myself, and I hope each one of you does it too. Preach to yourself, take courage, my soul. Tell yourself, you've been through this before, you're gonna be through it again, you're gonna be praising God, and you'll probably have another problem again, and God will get you through it, and you'll praise him again, and such is the cycle of life. So I ask again, what? are you hoping for? Hebrews 11.1, I'm gonna read it in two translations, it's so good. The first one is from the New Living Translation. It says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things that we cannot see. And in the NIV it says, now faith is the well-grounded assurance of that which we hope and the conviction of the reality of things that we do not see. There's a relationship between hope and faith. There's a relationship between hope and faith. Biblical faith is hope in the future tense. Biblical faith is and hope are all interconnected. Hope is faith about things that haven't happened yet. Hope is faith about things that we're counting on God to do, but he hasn't yet done them. It's hope is faith that God will be what he said he will be. He will do what he said he will do. Hope is faith that God is going to come through for us again like he has in the past. And each one of us has to find an anchor in our life when we go through those storms. We're anchored to Christ, but we have to find an anchor memory in our life that can be like, wait a second, I'm in this storm and it's blowing me and it's tossing me in the wind, but what's that moment that you know last time he came through? That's, that becomes the anchor. Last time I was in a storm, this was the storm and this is how God led me through it. We have to create those in our mind. And for me, quite honestly, it's this building. I don't know how many of you were a part of the church family back in 2008, but on Christmas Eve 2008, we moved the adult worship center from the old worship center into this building and it was a great day. And the plan was, now that the adults were settled in a new, bigger space, that we were giving the old space to the teenagers as a student center for this valley to preach the gospel and to see thousands of teenagers saved. But also, we didn't have the money, we just hoped that that would happen. And I remember we got settled in here as adults, and then I remember 2009 came and went, and 2010 came and went, and that building sat empty. And I would walk through that building, and it was so difficult to wait. I'd walk through the building and I'd say, God, when are you gonna give us this building for teenagers where we can see thousands of teenagers come to know you? Like, when? I have hope that it will happen, but I have no idea how it's gonna happen because um, I don't have any money. And I wanna build something awesome, but we have no money. And what I want is probably like a million dollars. So I had hope, but I saw no way through the problem. And so after a certain period of time, the team started saying, but but what would we do if we did have the money? Like what would, what would we hope for? And so the first thing we did is we drew out plans of like what do we want to build? We want a foam pit, we want a spider jump, we want a big swing. What, what, what do we want in this room to entertain kids and then how are we gonna use that to, to preach the gospel? And so we started brainstorming and dreaming up the room in, in specific detail. And then we had all our lists of everything we wanted and we said, yeah, that's gonna cost a lot of money and we still have no money. But then we had a plan and so we started kind of sharing the plan of where we thought we would go and then people started coming to us. A man came to us that owned a painting business here in the church and he said, well, it's tan. Do you want the student center to be tan? And I said, no. Tan is lame to teenagers. We cannot have a tan room. And so he said, well, I'll come after work. It'll take me a while, but I'll come after work and I'll, and I'll paint it for you. So he painted it black and gray. And I said, that's awesome. And then Rich Weimer, who's a member of our church for years, he, he came in and he said, man, this room is really echoey. You need to get some sound baffles. And I said, what are those? And why do I need them? And then we got them and apparently they absorb the echo and it's really important. And so he just... On his own, he just got some sound baffles from his storage and he, he put them up in the room so that when we had a sound system, 
we could have service in there. And then we didn't have a sound system and we didn't have anything else, but then a bar on the Eastern Slope went out of business and they had a killer sound system that they used for helping people get drunk. And we bought it <laughs> because they went out of business for pennies on the dollar, like so, so, so cheap. We bought this sound system and now the same sound system that was used in the world is now being used to proclaim the gospel right here in our town and we could afford it because they went out of business, right? But we didn't have anything else. <laughs> we didn't, we wanted a foam pit. And I don't know if you ever have wanted a foam pit before, but um, they're not cheap apparently. So we priced them out and it was like $25,000 for foam. And I was like, even if I had $25,000, I would not buy foam. Um, that seems like bad. And so, but we wanted it. We like, this would be so cool for the kids. And so there was a retired man in our church that said, well, I heard you want a foam pit. And I said, yes, sir. And he came, he's like, well, I'll frame one up for you. And so he just built a 25 foot wall by 15 foot wall, six feet high. And we just had a foam pit hole in our student center. And then we're like, well, we can't afford real foam, but we found that Denver Mattress Company was like throwing away their scrap foam and it was free. And so we hauled trailers over to Denver and we just loaded up enclosed trailer after enclosed trailer of this cheap garbage foam that was awesome. And we filled our foam pit and our kids didn't even care. And it was free. And so like little by little, we went, my husband went to an auction and he found, remember those old ugly booths at the Pizza Hut on North Avenue, the maroon ones with the oak wood, they were awful and so greasy. And they were for $400. He bought what would have cost $20,000 brand new, all these booths. And then someone in our church was like, I reupholster for a living. And I said, awesome. And we reupholstered them in a super cool neon color with glitter because that's what teenagers like and we made that and then we have these amazing booths and just little by little we got a soda machine soda machines apparently cost a lot of money also but we found one at an auction for a thousand dollars and we we're able to get they look like that and they had to fix it a lot I was not helpful and uh, put it in the student center and I know it's a small thing but now our kids have soda like every week and they just think it's the coolest thing ever and and you know what was really hard was waiting. Like I knew what it was supposed to look like. My team knew what it was supposed to look like, but we didn't have any way to get there. And so we were stuck in this waiting process. And it reminds me of the children of Israel. So the first time the children of Israel were being chased by the Egyptians and they got you know, backed up against the Red Sea and then Moses just, you know, shoved the staff in the water and pff, dry ground and they walk through. But there's another lesser known story that happened at the Jordan River. The children of Israel were at the Jordan River and they didn't know how to get across and they put the staff in and, and nothing really happened. And then the priests had to like walk into the river and stand there, which is what God told them to do. And they had to wait. They hoped the river would stop rushing like the, like the Red Sea had. They hoped it would dry up and all the children could cross through, but they didn't know. And then while they stood there hoping and waiting and wrestling, way upstream, the Bible says, that God cut off the flow of the Jordan River. Well, it still looked the same to the priest standing in the river because all that water had to flow past them before it ever dried up, before the children could walk by. And sometimes I think when we're hoping for something, God's saying, it's not like the Red Sea, it's like the Jordan River. You gotta step into it. Like what, what would be the first step you would do? Well, the first step is I'd design the building, right? What, what would be the second step? Well, I'd hope people would start helping us. Like you just, and sometimes building your home, building your business, building your family is just, what's the, what's the first step that you can actually take? And so step after step after step, God led us and somehow we built a student center with like no money, almost no money. And we actually have been blessed by God to have one of the best student centers in the entire country. And now every week, teenagers pack it out. And we see kids getting saved and worshiping and just having a, an awesome time. And there's nothing like it. And we didn't even have the money to build it and we still don't. It just came because of the confident expectation of hope. Because our God said, you know what? This matters. And I don't know what you're hoping for this morning. I don't know what you're holding on to hope for, but I want you to know it matters to God. And I understand the waiting process of hope is exhausting. Proverbs chapter 13 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Sometimes when you're hoping for something, you can literally feel, 
physically ill. You've waited so long for that thing to come to pass. But I want you to remember this example. A pregnant woman, okay? She's expecting the promise of holding a baby someday. And, and as week goes by, another week goes by, another week goes by, she becomes more and more expectant, right? But she still hasn't seen her promise. She's more and more expectant, but she still hasn't held her baby. And, and it would be crazy of that woman to go, oh, I've been waiting eight months and three weeks, and I don't even know if this baby's real. I've been waiting this whole time, and I don't see any baby. I, no. Week goes by, she is more expectant. Another week goes by, she's more confident that God is gonna do what he said he would do. And that's our example in waiting and in hoping is we're pregnant with expectation that God is going to come through on the thing that he promised. That, that we can continue to hope and have faith that he's coming through. We might not be holding the results right now, but we can expect them because our God is faithful and he comes through on his promises. And I don't know, I've been asking all, all morning long, what is it that you're hoping for? And I hope by now you've kind of grabbed hold of something, that there's something in your life that you're holding out hope for. But if you would, just close your eyes and think of that thing. What is it that you're hoping for? What is it? Hoping for that better job, hoping for that restored relationship, hoping for restored finances for your family. What is it that you're hoping for? And once you kind of know what that is, I want you to whisper that in a prayer to the Lord. God, you hear the whispers of our heart. God, we long, we long to have these hopes answered. There's many that are clinging and waiting for promises and we've been pregnant with those promises for a lot longer than nine months, some of years and years. But God, we know that you're faithful and that we can be confident that you're gonna come through and we ask that you would and that you would bring that breakthrough. And God, for those in this room that are fearful or nervous or hesitant to hope again, God, I pray that you would restore their hope, that their hope in you would be restored and their hope in the world would be restored, God, and that you would bring them through whatever storm that they're facing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, thank you, church family, for joining us. If you've been joining us online, I'd like to thank you as well. Guys, have a great week, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. If this was your first time experiencing Fellowship Church, please click the first time link located in the description below the video. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week for our online services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m.